and welcome to the Learning That Sticks podcast. I'm Mark Williams from GiraffePad, the learning platform for learning journeys. In this podcast series, I'm chatting with experts from around the world of learning and development, exploring with them their different ideas, techniques, methods, magic source, if you like, for creating learning solutions that truly stick. In this episode, I am delighted to be chatting with Lena Naziaku, and we're going to explore the subject of embodied learning. Lena, thank you so much for joining us. Hi, Mark. Thank you very much for having me. Um, Lovely to be part of the Sticky Podcast. The Sticky (laughs) Podcast, absolutely. Now, before we get into the truly sticky stuff, Lena, could you perhaps, for the benefit of our listeners, just give a little bit of a background to your career in learning and how you sort of progressed to where you are right now and what you do? Oh, yeah, sure. Uh, So my career, uh, well, everything started when I was a kid and... uh, My dad is a teacher, so, (laughs) you know, for me, since I was a a little one, everything was about learning and how how we learn, how we can learn better, how we can be the best in learning. And then uh, I actually did a a bachelor's on this on the specific topic of pedagogy and then a master's degree on lifelong learning and learning and development. So my whole background is in learning. I think I live and breathe learning. That's that's my that's my way of uh, of being, I guess. But uh, also another thing is that uh, since I finished until I finished my masters, I thought that learning has to be, you know, a very serious form where there is somebody who is giving you information, and there are the learners who are receiving the information, and automatically oh, they change behavior and they are they are ready to. To apply their new learnings of and uh, yeah uh, from Greece where I'm originally from I came to the Netherlands after my master's to do an internship and here I got connected or got introduced into embodied learning and I saw that there is more into how we learn and uh, it's definitely not one-way process and it's definitely not just uh, telling and receiving it's much more to it. Um, so from me being a person who thought that learning is stiff and uh, it's not knowledge sharing, I became a person who could uh, integrate all the fun stuff that I know about dancing and theater. I have lots of background in that as well and found a way to merge these two sides, like the creative brain and the very logical brain into creating my own version of embodied learning. Fantastic. What a great introduction. And Lena, do you know, it's lovely to speak to someone who, as you said, almost their whole life has led them into learning. So many of our guests and so many people I know have somehow fallen into learning or or certainly the professional element of learning at the later stage. So it's lovely to hear someone who had a a real path of a learning journey themselves and have been involved in learning from a very, very young age, consciously, if you like. So (laughs) maybe maybe if we could start with um, you explaining and defining, if you like, exactly what embodied learning is to give that clarity and then we can look at some practical examples. Yeah, sure. So just by for you to know and for the people who listen, it's something that gives me stress to define. So it's, for me, it's a big thing to define embodied learning. Uh, there is a lot of embodied leadership, which is very well defined, but it's not what I do. So uh, embodied learning is very much connected with embodied cognition, uh, which is a contemporary approach to learning, which states that we don't learn from the neck and up. It's not that our body is a brain taxi, but we learn through the whole body. So that the cognition is always embodied, even if we want it or not. And the way that I see embodied learning is very much into that. Uh, so it's about 
seeing the, the physical part of the learning uh, or the physicality of the learning process. And that's why uh, we're using a lot of embodied metaphors. So you can really reenact what you've learned or the information you gained, or you can gain a new insight in the process, uh, which can support you to uh, learn anything or a new concept or understanding a new concept. So absolutely. So this notion of, of, of sitting and passively listening to someone, which is just purely cognitive, no physical element to it at all, is missing out uh, a, a large proportion of, of, of what that learning can, how, how it can manifest itself, I guess. Exactly, exactly like that. And what's interesting is a couple of days ago, I got feedback from a client and the feedback was the following. I wrote it down and I have it here because I wanted to read it to you. <laughs> it's connected with your, the sticky part of the podcast. <laughs> they said that what they liked about the workshops is that there was a balance between doing, listening, seeing and feeling. And that it was fun, not fun, haha, fun, <laughs> but fun as in that people were engaged and that the knowledge uh, stick and they understood the, the content. So I was just listening, uh, reading now my notes because I really like the way that they put it. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And you can see how that moves through those four four stages. So, so interestingly, how, so what does that what does that feel like as a participant? If I might be going through a workshop that you are running, what would I what would I experience differently? What what would you be getting me to do if you like? Or what would I be doing? <laughs> would be ensured that I'm learning physically as well as cognitively. <laughs> so I'd be getting you to do weird things. I have to say. <laughs> So you would be standing up and sometimes in order to learn a concept, you would have to just simply walk. Sometimes you would have to be in the nature and do other processes, sometimes dance, uh, sometimes do, doing a small constellations on the floor. So it all depends on the concept that you want to learn. But then the idea is that first you're exposed into uh, some kind of embodied learning activity. Then there is a lot of reflection so you can we can uh, elicit insights and then conversation with theory. And at last, we have a lot of practice. So we make sure that what you experience and what you embodied, then you can really put it in actual life. And people, uh, people confuse sometimes embodied exercise with practice, but these are two different things. Because in the embodied processes, you don't really talk. There are processes which you are mostly, most of them, you are mostly doing things in isolation so you use only the body so you can focus there and then in the next part or in the practice part we we bring everything together because you know what they say if you try to learn or to do everything at once you do nothing so i prefer breaking things down and taking them one one thing at a time so it's interesting listening to you describe that there so a first sort of understanding this concept my mind was worrying thinking how does this work for the virtual world? But of course, if if you're doing this individually, depending on the space that you're in, it works perfectly well virtually as it does uh, an, an in-person event. Yeah, exactly. And uh, sometimes because I don't do much one-to-one coaching, uh, I mostly do workshops and learning, uh, learning activities, processes, journeys. But uh, I had to figure out because uh, how to do things online virtually. And there are some processes that you simply cannot do uh, and I'll give you an example and some process that you can do. For example, when I teach coaching, the key part of coaching is building rapport, right? 
So if we are in a non-virtual workshop, so if we are in person, then I have some dancing processes when you can really practice matching and mirroring of non, uh, on the non-verbal uh, communication parts. And instead of just, uh, yeah, you work in couples and then you learn this way, this is something you cannot do online or you cannot do it in the same way that you would uh, be able to do. But, you know, in Zoom, they are working on on, be, on us being able to uh, to share sound in the breakout rooms and every breakout room can have their own sound. So I think we are getting there slowly, slowly. <laughs> that, yeah, the technology will catch up. <laughs> yeah, 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 they really catch up. But yeah, like in this kind of example, when you have, uh, when you want to teach rapport, you can of course just tell people, listen, people, you guys, you have too much eye contact, you have to create eye contact, you have too much the nonverbal signs, the way that the, your client uh, or your direct rapport, the person you want to persuade, is sitting, standing, moving, breathing. That's not difficult, right? We are all smart people. We understand it. But the moment that you're exposed in the situation, you have the stakeholder in front of you, it's really, really difficult to do it. So we take it one step back in the learning process and we train it with dancing, which is playful, it's fun, and it really teaches you, uh, learns you how to observe in a very high-paced environment, how to respond to all the nonverbal uh, acts and moves of, of your partner. And then it's much easier to bring it in your own environment because you've trained it quite intensively, I have to say. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> and you, you said there's a certain exercise and certain elements of it that you often do in isolation. So that's piqued my curiosity. And, and obviously, I, I've actually um, experienced one of your workshops. I came along very generously to, to one of your workshops to see that. And this was run virtually. So some of those exercises we were doing, obviously, we were doing isolation. Do you, there's two elements to this. One, I'm really curious about how that works and how someone really sort of senses into their, their physical learning as much as cognitively. But the first question I might have is, do you ever get any resistance from people? Because for some <laughs> people, this, this might be quite distinctly uncomfortable. <laughs> I mean, we know that learning needs to be uncomfortable. We want them to lean into that discomfort. Um, but sometimes that moving from the cognitive to the physical might be a step that really pushes them out of their comfort zone entirely, isn't it? <laughs> it is definitely that's a question that I get I think in all the calls that I have with prospect clients it's it's always the question now yeah of course there is resistance of course you you tell people something that they have to stand up and do and then you see this face is like what or they cross their hands their arms and so on and so forth but um, somehow it works like all these years uh, I faced two times like very strong resistance from people that I still remember even that happened like long time ago. But for the rest, no, it's, I think it has to do with two parts. At first, my embodiment and my voice. Uh, so I, I have quite a soft voice, non-threatening voice and embodiment as well. So I'm very short and small. So people don't feel threatened when I say, yeah, we're going to do something. And at second is that I think it has. You have to 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 speak to people with quite in a way that they think that yeah, of course, this is what we're gonna do. <laughs> but, uh, 
I don't want to brag, but there is this uh, really great trainer that I'm working with. And then he says, yeah, even if you tell people, you guys, we're going to work the whole evening and you can have all overnight assignments. People are saying, yes, yes. <laughs> it's, I think I believe in it. And I think that this is the way to go. So if people talk to you in a way that they think that this is going to happen, it happens. But also people usually, they are, I think, so afraid. So uh, I was telling uh, you before we started the podcast that uh, I've been designing some uh, learning uh, courses that they will be done uh, synchronously. So uh, actually, I didn't have to design them from scratch. I had to redesign them. So I was reading on the original instructions and they were like, when they wanted leaders, because they, it, these were courses for leaders, and when they wanted leaders to do something more creative, they would have like they would spend a whole page on understanding and telling that this is too far from them and that's not the usual thing. And oh, they have to have courage to do it. And I don't think like that. I think we are naturally creative, we are naturally fun people, and we want to move and and walk and dance, and we all do it. So instead of being so super careful that oh, people will think. It's much easier if we are light about it and we are like, okay, let's just do it. Let's just try something. And if it doesn't work, we're going to stop. I always say that. I promise. We're going to stop if it's something that you don't feel comfortable with. Do you know, listening to you, I can hear so many trainers over the years and probably myself as well as, as running workshops and getting to that point and saying, we're going to do a practice. Now, we know nobody likes practice and nobody wants to do this and making all these excuses. And you make such a valid point, don't you? Yeah, you but you authentically, really, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you authentically believe in what it is you're doing. You present it in that way. You lead up to it and you pace them into that process. So like you said, the participants, well, of course, I'm going to stand up and dance because that's what we do right to this moment. <laughs> <laughs> I guess so, but... I really, I do believe in it. I do believe in it. I have so many years of learning and studying about learning and teaching people how to learn. And yeah, it doesn't work like in a, in a lecture format. It doesn't no. work, really. It doesn't. And I hate people wasting their time when they are with me. I hate it. So, Lena, th- this idea that... Um... So we, let's say we haven't got resistance from the, the participants. So they're, they're, they're absolutely going to, to lean into this. They're going to, to do the isolated exercises that you're talking about. But probably what we can't lose sight of is that it might be the first time they've experienced this kind of learning or consciously experienced it with a facilitator like you. They might be more used to the slightly more cognitive style of, of, of learning. How do you help someone um, really understand that physical part of learning, if that makes sense. So if you were asking me to do one of your exercises and I hadn't been involved in a learning process like that before, I need to understand how I'm going to learn as much as I am the relevance to the context of the learning, don't I? Yeah, exactly. So it usually starts with providing a framework of uh, what we're going to use. So uh, all the learning parts that I'm providing, they are not just coming out of the blue, but they're very much connected to a specific concept or specific theory. And uh, because that was like very, very difficult a couple of years ago, I thought, why don't I make it a bit more difficult? So <laughs> I have a genuine love for mathematics and I know that math teachers struggle really much in, in, much in teaching math. So I created a large project funded by EU about embodiment in mathematics. So how can we teach mathematics with movement? 
And in this project, I'm, I'm referring it now because it really helped me to understand how how do we start, how do we present uh, the, the processes, and how do we elicit learning, how do we involve, uh, the co- how do we integrate the concept during the movement part. So, yeah, that, that has been really a big school for me working with uh, math teachers, but also other subject matter experts, but that was outstanding because the, the mathematical skills are not soft skills, are not easy skills, they're hardcore skills. So, yeah. Fantastic. And let's have a look at something I know that you're enormously passionate about and you deliver a lot on is, is coaching. You've mentioned about rapport. Talk me through yeah. some of the other um, some of the other elements of, of how you would bring your embodied learning to something like a coaching development program, as an example. Yes. Okay. So um, let's take this example that you have a group of senior leaders uh, that you want to train them on coaching. So you want to teach them a bit more on how to use coaching with their direct reports, with their team members, their stakeholders, and so on and so forth. So these people, they know how to lead, and they have a certain way of leading. And uh, at the same time, coaching is based on the assumption that the coachee, the client, is able to provide their own solutions. You as a coach, you are there just to facilitate this process. You are a catalyst. Now, that's again, that's very easy for me to say, and you understand it immediately. That doesn't mean that you're able to put it in practice. So I love working on an assumptions level. And there is a a theory about like uh, how to create your own method as a coach, which I present usually to people and in like 10 minutes, no more. And then the biggest part of this theory is the assumptions that you have as a coach about your coachee, because it depends on how you see your coachee your uh, your manager whoever you're coaching this is going to change the way that you approach coaching your approach the way that you're leading them so uh, after they go through this uh, this theory uh, then immediately we have an embodied process where I'm just saying yeah let's just do some walking and then I ask people to walk as if they have like very heavy, a, a very heavy uh, sack on their shoulders. And then, okay, well, and then I ask people to walk as if they feel that in front of them there is an obstacle and they need to push the obstacle and really reenact that. Yeah? And then I ask them to walk as if the, full, the whole room is full of excels. So they are like having people who are fragile. And then simply as that, I stop. And I ask them, to, like I have a closed eyes process where they visualize the people that they coach. And I ask them, okay, with which of these embodied metaphors do you connect? And then if they don't connect, they can create their own metaphor. And after that, they are, the embodied process is over and they are in couples and they share. So instead of me, you understand, instead of me telling them, look, If you think that the person is an obstacle, then of course you're not going to coach them. You're going to tell them what to do. And this is wrong. Yeah. (laughs) So instead of me confronting them, and I don't think I would get anywhere with this because these people are like like way older than me and have way more experience. So I'm creating the circumstances where they can get confronted by themselves. And then asking questions when they are in groups and sharing. So they are all in the same in the same, let's say, position. And what I hear is that people, when they start, they don't believe that this is going to work anyways. They do it because, yeah, I say, and everybody stands up and everybody does it anyways. 
But what they say is that, yeah, I didn't believe that that would be so intense and you see people crying and really understanding how they perceive, what is their perception towards their uh, reports. And this is a moment of change and then you can build on it and you can provide more theory and you can support their further and you can uh, go for more discussions and you can slowly lead them towards practice. I love the absolutely brilliant description of how that works. I love the idea as well that um, they can create their own metaphor. If, if one of those three that you might have led them through isn't quite on there, but those three are so obvious to all of us, you know, the person you have to walk on eggshells around, the person that feels like a weight on your shoulders, um, those are so perfect. They'll open their minds up straight away and say, well, actually, this person is like this and whatever that might be. Um fantastic so it immediately yeah. brings that physical element to the way they're thinking about this individual um i love the fact as well we're talking about very for the, for our listeners benefit here lena is demonstrating these moves to me and i'm thinking about these moves very physically of course they can only hear our voices at this point in time this is, a very, <laughs> this, is, this is a very physical element that someone isn't sat at their desk just listening to you talking about coaching they're getting up and they're actually embodying the sense of who they might be coaching a really powerful way to identify what their blocker is to to taking a really genuine coaching approach to someone. Fantastic. Yeah. Can I put you on the spot, Lena, and ask, for, this is such a good practical explanation. Is there another example of something you do? Because I think coaching is something that the majority of our listeners would understand. They'll, they'll either be developing as coaches themselves, they'll, they'll maybe offer coaching development. It's a very prevalent uh, behavioral skill to develop isn't it or mindset to develop um yeah. another example of some embodied exercises you might do to help people understand their approach yeah i think it's another one that i can share this one is not in isolation but this one we're going to integrate language with movement so it's another style of embodiment so i explained dancing i explained pure movement and now i'll explain something that mostly people mostly i start with this with people because it's more connected to sports and then you know how it goes. If people feel okay, then they're, next time they're more prone to do more crazy things <laughs> and more and more. So again, imagine that you want to, we have the same target group and I had this company, uh, sustainability leaders, and they wanted to learn how to ask coaching questions. And coaching questions is a very good thing to ask. But then me as a coach, when I was training to become a coach, I was like, okay, what kind of questions? Because it's difficult to understand. Like, what what is a good coaching question, and what is like what's a, 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 a hidden advice in a question? You know? yeah. <laughs> so, but the whole idea of coaching is being able to like to go in the observer position and lift your uh, personal drone so you can see and everything. So okay, so. Uh, there is this uh, workshop that I do and we start like very, very playfully with uh, with some games just about being able to ask questions because, you know, it's much quicker for us to give an advice in our brains instead of asking questions. So we do this very fun game that you put uh, something on your forehead and then the rest of the team members have to guess and they have to ask questions. Okay, this is how we warm up. And then I ask people to uh, go outside in the nature with me. So imagine you're with a group of like 12, 15, it has to be an even number, and then they form couples. And I give each couple one ball, and each couple has to find it. They have to decide who is the coach and who is the uh, coachee. And then the uh, coachee takes the ball and they find the tree, 
and they have to be far away from the tree and start throwing the ball so they can hit the tree. And the coach is there to support you to do is to do that as many times as you can. So this is about performance coaching. So what do you really expect that it happens there when they start throwing the ball? Yeah, lots of advice. Why don't you try yeah, it over of, there? Absolutely, of course. It yeah, is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So this is one thing that they call advice and do this and do that. And what's the other thing that they do? Like yeah. arms in the air, cheering, supporting yeah. them, motivating them. Motivating them go yeah. completely uh, ballistic with their like, yeah, 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 they're becoming cheerleaders. And then after seven minutes, I stop the process and I ask them, okay, who is tired now? And you see, you know, the coaches or the clients, they're completely lazy. They were not even going to run for their balls. <laughs> no, because their coach was completely sweating, running up and down, encouraging them, giving advice, and doing all the work for them. So that's a process that we're taking from the outside and we go in the classroom, back in the classroom, and then we work on it. And we work on it from a from a theoretical perspective, but also on an embodied perspective. So from a theoretical perspective, we see, okay, what other kinds of questions can you ask? And from the embodied perspective, what is super interesting to see is that uh, I draw on the flip chart, the tree and the person, sorry, the tree and the client. And then I ask them, okay, what does the tree represent? And it's the goal, of course, everybody understands. And I say, okay, where do you stand as a, as a coach? And where do you think they stand? Next to the tree. Absolutely, yeah. Next to the tree. Pointing. <laughs> exactly, telling yeah, you guys, I'm here, throw the ball here. And because they are not next to the person, they are not connected with the person, they have to shout. This is, so they have to shout. And second, they have to go and catch the ball. Because this is the only way that they think that they can create connection with the person. So it's, I love this exercise. I mean, I love everything. <laughs> but, but these are not exercises that they got created in one day. I think you understand that. I've been building the same courses for seven years. And these were small things that out of observation, everything I could see and make small, uh, small changes and small changes and observe people. And I think now I'm on a good point on saying that, that these are full experiences. And I, you know, again, I, I, there are so many layers to this. On the outside, this sounds like a very simple physical embodiment of all of the flaws that can go into a coaching coaching relationship or conversation. Um, I can even imagine, you said the, the coaches stood by the tree. Not only are they catching the ball, they're taking the ball back to their, 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 their coach. So they're, they're basically hand-holding them and doing everything for them. Yeah. Everything that they think in their mind is their coach's hat on when actually it's yeah. fundamentally the opposite. <laughs> Exactly, exactly. And but if you would go to people, to leaders, to senior leaders and tell them, yeah, you know what goes wrong is that you do the work of your direct reports, they would say, no, I don't. But when people are really sweaty, really, really sweaty after seven minutes of running up and down, yeah, there is no and, resistance and it's, anymore, it's... I think. It's physical. I mean, I love, and obviously, as we as we emerge back out into the world of in-person, she's getting people outside as well, into nature. There's so many layers to this that uh, create this rich learning environment rather than stood in a sort of fairly white, bland, drab room um, talking about this as a concept. So different, isn't it, than them physically experiencing yeah. where we are uh, uh, positioning 
uh, action, like you said, the motivation, the mindset, all of those things in one relatively straightforward exercise that brings out the physical element of, of their role as a coach or, or the opposite yeah. of a coach in this, in this instance. <laughs> yes, yes. And because it ha- there are too many layers, as you say, this is something that you bring back every time, mm-hmm. like in further processes of the learning, you bring it back and then you're like, yeah, who is sweating now? Who is working now? And people immediately get it back. They're like, oh, oh it's me working. I have to breathe in deeply. And lay back and see how I can do it. How can I I provide, um, yeah, how can I support my person? How I can provide questions out of observation and not out of the need to, yeah, to solve the situation by myself. And and it produces this, this lovely sort of story, if you like, around their growth and development, doesn't it? Because at every point of the, the development process they go through, you can almost bring it back to this analogy of the, the ball and the tree and where are yeah. they positioned, what are they doing, how are they supporting, how are they helping? And, and that will be very clear in their mind because they physically experienced it at some point on the, on the programme. Yeah, um, because it goes into the body memory mm-hmm. and that is where it sticks. And this is why I love the title of your podcast. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> it's not just sticking up here in the, in the brain. It's physically sticking and embedding that sticking. behavioural change that, that you're looking for. Yeah. So, Lynn, we've looked at coaching and, and I, I get, and, you know, this is a subject very close to my heart. The minute you describe some of these exercises, that really resonates for me. Now, one of the questions I was going to ask you is, are there, are there sort of subjects, if you like, or areas of learning where embodied learning is not necessarily so relevant, but you've already shared with us that Mathematics. you... Mathematics. Well, exactly. <laughs> I mean, if I could have plucked one out of the air that I wouldn't have imagined. Although having said that, I mean, I, I, I've got this distant memory of a, a maths teacher that always got us out of our chairs. I mean, this is a long time ago at school. Really? But he used to get us out of chairs and doing things physically in the room. And that's why I think I actually quite enjoyed maths at school, even though oh, I don't like you. But yeah, oh. I, don't, I guess it's not the norm, is it? Um, oh. But is there... Um, so we've looked at coaching. Is there other subject areas that really lend themselves well to this kind of embodied approach as a learning a learning journey yeah uh, i don't train on many concepts but i do help uh, uh, subject matter experts on different concepts but uh, uh, a, a subject that i really love is also about resistance like uh, you're in critical conversations um you are in negotiations you are in a conflict and there is a lot of resistance appearing popping up so there, I think embodiment is also really, really useful because it's a topic that, um, yeah, by itself is difficult. It's really difficult. And approaching it only on a mind level or like very cognitive perspective, it doesn't help. It doesn't help. That's interesting, Rob, because obviously in the, away from the learning, in the moment, if you are experiencing that resistance, you won't just be experiencing it cognitively, will you? You'll be experiencing it physically. The, the discomfort, <laughs> yeah, Absolutely. And so yeah. recognising how you experience that in the whole of you rather than just in your brain at that moment in time is going yeah, to put yeah. you in a much better position to manage those situations effectively. Exactly. And uh, I have my, one of my favourite exercises, embodied learning exercises, is which was created because I am a resistant person myself. I'm I'm really whew, I'm a difficult one, and <laughs> that's a topic that I love because I saw that every time I'm resisting something, I'm fighting it. I'm fighting in hardcore, and it's not helpful. So I thought it's not me. It's like also many people. So there is one exercise that I adore. It really knocks people out. Is uh, can, can I share? Do we have time for it? 
Yes, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Oh. So imagine you work in couples and you've heard some theories about uh, how resistance works and everything, and then we have an exercise about uh, unrevealing your own patterns when dealing with resistance. So what is actually that you do when you're resisting? So there is a certain build-up, but this is my favorite part. So there are two groups, and then again, they are A and B. And then I brief separately two groups. So we have the groups of the of the coaches who the briefing is that you people, you have to stand as if you are a tree and there are roots under your feet and then you won't move. Whatever is going to happen in the next five minutes, you won't move. And then I have another group of people who are the, um, who are the leaders. And then I'm telling them, okay, now your goal is to go next to your uh, to your partner and make, keep them moving. I'm saying not to move them, but to keep them moving. Because also in negotiation, you just want the person just, yeah, you move them. You want to keep them in motion. And then I just let them do it. And you know what happens, I guess. I see you smiling already. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm going to hear your description, so I can imagine this is this is a very, very revealing exercise. <laughs> <laughs> there is the most violence I've ever seen in a training course <laughs> there is in this exercise. <laughs> people go and they push. I've seen people trying to throw water and I had to stop them. <laughs> really trying with chairs, trying to do everything in a very violent way really really going very hardcore and of course i make interventions in between and at the end i'm putting some playful music and when they hear the playful music they understand that that's all what it takes that's all what it takes if you want to win a negotiation you cannot be hard on your partner you can negotiate hard yes you should never be hard on your partner so how to bring back playfulness, how to relax and get the other person moving and really do it, not just saying, yeah, 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 we need to be playful. No, but do it. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and I, I, also all of the, the starting point before you play that music is about showing how you're being aggressive in that moment, which is forcing yeah. that to change or move on someone rather than taking them with you and, and getting their collaborative, isn't it? Which again, exactly. is that physical sense. Look at me, I'm doing all these weird things to try and get this person to move. And are, you know, is that truly you? Is that the authentic you to be that aggressive in that moment? Almost certainly not. But because of this exercise, you're displaying how when confronted with resistance, you become aggressive. Yeah. Um, fantastic. Exactly. Lena, um, a practical question on this. So from a point of view that many of our listeners might be trainers, facilitators, coaches, now, you've shared some wonderful examples of exercises, and I know my facilitator's brain is already bubbling over of how I might <laughs> use them at some point. Um, but obviously, this isn't, just, this isn't just about creating a fun exercise. There's some real understanding and depth of knowledge that, of how we physically learn. So if someone is genuinely interested in this path, you know, almost working themselves as facilitators to become better at utilizing embodied learning what's the best way to to learn more about this to grow and become uh, much more capable as, as facilitators that can use embodied learning mm, i guess at first it's just doing it like having them the easiest thing that they could do and do it when it comes to getting inspiration uh, i suggest that uh, like i follow improv theater workshops or dancing workshops they give me a lot of inspiration 
And then if you want to read stuff, I, I've told you the other time we talked, there's not so much around, but in the States, they are quite uh, into mathematics and embodied learning. So that could that could uh, light some bulbs, I guess. But also, like, I usually post things on social media or on my newsletter. Mm, yeah, uh, these are the, 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 the ideas that I have. And yeah, Googling uh -huh. embodied cognition, that maybe helps as well. Well, I love that idea of the the improv and, and that idea is the, the kind of creativity that, that would show you of different ways of doing things is a great starting point, isn't it? Fantastic, yeah, Lena. And if people want to learn more about you, Lena, how could they contact you and find you and, and, and find out more about what you do? Where, where, where would they find you? Uh, LinkedIn is my favorite platform, so I'm quite active there. And for the rest, I have a website and a newsletter that they can easily subscribe and find me uh, as well. Fantastic. And we'll share those contact details on the show notes. Lena, it is always an absolute pleasure to chat to you. I reckon we could keep talking about these practical ideas all day long. Um, I want to say a really big thank you for joining us today and sharing your expertise and insights. And a big thank you to everyone who has listened. Um, if you want to follow more of our podcasts, you can find them on our website at giraffepad.com. And you can find me on LinkedIn at Mark Williams and Giraffepad. So thank you very much for listening. Lena, thank you so much for joining us again. And um, more episodes are coming. Please rate us on your podcast chat app of choice. Thanks for listening. Bye. Thank you, Mark. <laughs>